Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm here with Nick Chase. Garrick Lowen isn't here at the moment, but he'll be part of our interview today. So we've got a great guest coming on today. We are going to be talking with the CEO, I believe it's the CEO, is it not, of Form Goggles. Oh, you're darn right. He is the big kahuna. So we'll get into that shortly. But before that, we've got some stuff to catch up on. Nick has a brand new battle scar to tell us about from the Belgian Waffle Ride. Belgian Waffle Ride is this notorious gravel race that started in San Diego, and now she's kind of made her way to cedar city which is 45 minutes north of st george and little did i know that it was going to bring like some of the best triathletes around we had heather jackson ben hoffman sam long myself um curtis feltner and freaking tyler butterfield all out there trying to rip our faces off we all made the front group uh i was there for a while i even got my picture on the front no big deal how far is this ride did you say that 125 miles like over 75 percent is gravel and there's 6,000 feet of climbing, which mostly happens at the very end. Nice. So it was, so imagine like a Peloton of 50, 60 dudes all in the front group, ripping their heads off to go 30 miles an hour on these dirt roads that are windy off camber. The dust is so, it's so dusty that you can't even see the road, the dirt road, because it's like been the desert conditions. And we have had zero rain. I mean, we normally get little rain anyways. Um, it was that nuts, super sketch. Um, most of us had some issues or went the wrong way or blew up or I crashed twice. No big deal. How'd you crash? Well, I was in that group there and we were hitting the first King of the Mountain section and I couldn't see anything. I was the right side of the road. And then I just took like one pedal stroke out of the saddle to adjust in my right, like my bar just jerked right. I think I hit like a big rock and sand spot all at once and just launched. And Curtis Feltner was behind me he, at the end. He said, Oh my God, Nick, I thought you died. Cause I just like launched like full on Superman. I didn't take anybody else out luckily. Cause I was on the right side. So that was fine. I just had to adjust my bars. They were all cattywampus um, in my saddle. Derailleur was fine. So that was that crash. And then I worked hard and made my way back to the second group, which had the first lead female, which was awesome. I was there for a long time. All right. And then I thought you told me about some kind of a bonking situation that happened. Oh yeah. Um, so once I caught that group, we were working real hard. Um, and then we hit this little really over 90 degree turn or under 90 degree turn, um, from really soft sand to asphalt. And that's when the front wheel slipped out on her and just hit the deck again about three, four miles an hour and just took, it was like a cheese grater to my forearm, which is like skin was dangling. <laughs> it's bleeding everywhere, oh, but I got right back up and she was still shifting. All right. Just a little off bent the derailleur of the hair, um, caught back up to the group. And then shortly after that, probably like an hour and a half, two hours later, right around mile a hundred, cause I had launched a bunch of nutrition due to the crashes. Um, <laughs> and everybody, dude, everybody else had hand ups. Like at every aid station, they had people waiting there to hand up bottles. Like I didn't even think of that. I was, that would have been clutch. I did, wouldn't have had to carry a hydration pack and just rely on 
couple of bottles and I mean, they had water and they were doing a good job at the aid stations for sure. But man, I could not have stopped and kept the group. Anyways, I bonked, lost that group, was in no man's land, hated life. And then I looked behind me and there's this train of probably eight people coming on this paved section. And it's Ben Hoffman leading the train, <laughs> bringing, he said he was going to do some work for, for Heather Jackson because he flatted out um, probably at like an hour and a half. I, I went by him and then was with them until the massive climb. And then I had to absolutely pull over for a Coke before the massive climb. I was just seeing, seeing Elvis on the side of the road. He was dancing and waving at me. <laughs> So I was in, I was in the locker anyways, that's, uh, and ends with four miles of single track mountain bike trail, jagged rocks. Um, it four miles of shit at the very end. Your back is just destroyed. My low back was screaming. So that was it. Dirty, bloody. I'm still hurting. My shoulders messed up. I've had to get a couple cryo sessions. I just swam today for the first time since like last Friday. And it's, my shoulders at like 60% and I got a race this Saturday. Yeah. But once you get into the race, adrenaline will just take care of that for sure. You'll be all right. I'm just going to uh, so clean back my down. Whole shoulder. Yeah. Just put the, what is it? Cortisone or freezing, freezing agent in there. It'll be fine. Biofreeze. Um, you came back, then you went back up to altitude to do some more training now you've got the great, great Floridian race coming up real soon. So yep. that is a cool race because it's got a PTO qualifying slot, which you're going to be going for, of course, along with some mm-hmm. other studs. So what is that race? You said you've done that uh, race before and you know the area. Yeah. I mean, Claremont is a big training ground in Florida. I, you know, for 13 years I lived in Florida, so I was up there a lot. Did a lot of racing um, and especially I broke my collarbone like three years ago and coming back into fitness, that was a local race. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go do the one third distance and see how it goes. But those hills are, are really short and steep. So Hill, Claremont is a hilly, hilly part of Florida. It's the only hilly part of Florida. So that'll be a good course for all of us. Um, it's like 0. 0.8, 0.8 mile swim. 40 mile bike and an eight mile run. So a one third iron distance event with uh, over 2000 feet of climbing on the 40 mile bike. So pretty good bit of elevation. The runs pancake flat, but some big names are showing up. We'll have a lot of hungry boys that I can hopefully use as carrots out there. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Just some of the names I saw, Justin Metzer, Chris Leiferman, uh, Bradley Weiss, I believe. Um, Canute. Yeah, Canute. Dio, those boys already have slots, and a lot of them do, but it doesn't matter. They're going to be out there. I think a lot of people are going to be using this as a tune-up for the PTO Championship, which is, what, about five weeks later, six weeks later? Absolutely. So. Yeah, so that's going to be the big, uh, you know, some of those guys are going to be maybe not quite in shape yet, but probably all at least pretty fit if they're going to be out there racing. Um, so yeah, we got some other stuff going on. I will be heading out your way in a few weeks, do some training, but before that, our boy Lionel Sanders is going for a pretty cool record this week. He is going for Ed Veal's one hour velodrome record. So, uh, he's been putting out a video series and that's going to be live on his YouTube channel at 1230 Eastern on Friday. I'm going to be watching that because... We've had Ed Veal on here, and 
he thinks Lionel's not going to be able to – I'm just assuming he thinks Lionel's not going to be able to take his record, which is something like 48.6K, I believe. Um, Lionel's trying to do 50K, so that's going to be cool. And he also did a 5K, and he just posted that video today. So that was pretty fast. Nick, did you see that? Do you know how fast he ran? No, man. Tell me. He went 1434. Oh, 5K. my God. Yeah. What? He's moving. It was pretty impressive. But, okay, so this is – a lot of people are doing these, like, time trials and going for PBs, but they're all drafting a biker. Is that, like – what do you think about that? Like, to me, that just seems like it's, it's you know, like, obviously you ran the time, and if somebody was just running that pace in front of you, that would be just as easy. But, like, some about that just seems like – because I know you can't do that in, like, a real race. So, like, what do you think about that? Is that legit, or is that, like – I don't know. I think, I think no matter what, like, cause I've had both situations where there's like a pacer and you're solo, but after a certain point, once you're maxed out, like, and they start to trail away, you just can't do it. However, that's what, how I think it should be. They set, they are on that set PB time. And if you can't hang with them, then you lose it. And then you've got to do your own work. You know what I mean? That's how I think it should yeah. work. But if, I man, I don't know. I think right now, who cares? It's it's awesome. I bet I bet it's yeah. it would be plus or minus five or ten seconds if they didn't have the draft, you know. Yeah. But it certainly is a mental boost, if nothing else, right? Even if there's not a lot of draft, per se. Yeah. What do you? Yeah, think? and I think a lot of these times, especially like, like for example, fourteen thirty-five. That's really fast. But if Lionel really wanted to, he could pay some pro runner to come run fourteen thirty-five, no problem. And then he's doing the same thing. It's just, um, obviously, it's easier to find someone who can bite that speed. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have uh, plus to Plus, it's think. great for video footage because he's got the freaking camera right in his face. I think it's pretty legit. I mean, obviously, for, like, any real records or whatever, it wouldn't count. But it's kind of like the breaking two for the, uh, for the marathon. They had that pace vehicle with, like, a big clock on it, and that was, like, pushing some of the wind. Um, but I think it just, like – shows you what you can do and then it's just a matter of doing it in a, like a race or something um yeah, but yeah it's, yeah i've always like they've got pacers and marathons too for the men and women so that's like another point of contention like i don't know i think if everyone has access to it and everyone can do it then likely it's not really a big deal especially if you still got to do the work no matter what <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah hurt you know, less. they're not putting the energy in your legs that's for sure yeah, but for this one-hour record, do you think he's gonna get it? I think I think he'll do it. I mean, I do. Hell yeah, yeah. He's gonna he's, just. He's got probably that just gonna do He's gonna punch himself repeatedly in the face every time he starts to slow down, or either that, or he's got, probably got like a little electrode on his on his taint that every time he slows under a certain <laughs> kilometers per hour, it's just gonna zap him. So he's gonna be like, oh, and there she goes. Got to get her again. Got to pump her back up to three hundred fifty watts. <laughs> oh man, that that I think he, uh, I think he is able to. The question I have is like, is that position? Has he spent enough time in that position for one hour all out? Like that's very difficult. I've heard, especially on the track where you've got one hundred forty psi and you cannot move at all. I think that's gonna be tough that's the only variable that he probably won't be as familiar with where Ed Veal was, you know, he grew up on the track and he's done tons of pursuits and he's very well versed. So I'm sure Lionel will be capable physically, but yeah, the tactics 
we'll see if he can really hold that that perfect line the whole time. If anybody can take that low back pain and uh, suffering, it's Lionel. So I think he's going to do it. Yep. Sorry, Ed. Now, yeah, sorry, Ed. That's our predictions. But you know what? If he doesn't do it, we're going to have you on and just tell us I told you so right to our faces. So <laughs> that's going to be that. But so we've got our guest coming on. Form goggles. So these are obviously a cool tech because it's the first set of swim goggles that can tell you your pace. And I actually haven't had a chance to use these yet. Nick, have you tried them out? Absolutely you not. You have not. <laughs> have oh my not. God. We're just, we're just learning on this episode. But you know, in theory, as a coach, I've had tons of athletes use them. I've gotten, I've heard a lot of great things, nothing but good things. And number one, and you'll hear this while we're talking about it. So I'll give you a couple of teasers. Um, people who have, open water swim anxiety have said it helps them uh, with something else to focus on besides what's going to eat them while they're swimming. And also age group athletes, you know, if I ask them to go do some pace times in the pool, I've got to basically break down simple arithmetic in addition and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So this, this is a very intuitive, straightforward way of keeping yourself in check in the pool. So I hope I get to try them one day. Um, yeah, we'll get ourselves a pair. You know, I know Taylor has a pair, so I might just snag them from him on the cool down on my next swim and see how yeah. they feel. But you got to be special to get a pair of those. I know. They're pretty high, high market. But anyways, the story of how these came about are really, really cool. Cool story. Um, engineer background. So listen to the podcast. Check it out and see based on what we've learned within this episode if they are for you um and we don't have any discount codes or anything to offer you but you could just go spend your hard-earned money on them if you want no big deal <laughs> all right today we have dan eisenhart from form goggles he is the ceo dan i want you i want to thank you for joining us thanks for having me so let's, uh, let's kind of start off here with your life before form and let's get some background on you. Okay, yeah, so I come from a family of swimmers and a family of engineers. Uh, mostly, you know, spend most of my time from five or, age of five or six up until 23 swimming uh, in, inside in the pool as a competitive swimmer, staring down at the line in the, the bottom of the pool. And, um, and so that's where sort of my passion has been. Uh, and I was a distance swimmer, 1,500-meter swimmer. Later, was a 400-meter swimmer and 200-meter swimmer as well. Um, went to engineering school and then stopped competitive swimming. It was just too much to do both at the same time. Um, and, uh, and then recently got into triathlon. Uh, did uh, Kona Ironman last year as part of the Challenge Athlete Foundation. And that was a great experience. So, that's, so I'm still a novice triathlete in that sense, but it was uh, definitely worthwhile. Um, and, Wait, uh, so, so you got the best Kona conditions ever for your first Kona? Yeah, that was it was pretty good. I don't know how it normally is. It was pretty windy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was great. I'd do it again. But I guess this year it's off, so we'll have to wait till next year. Yeah, it's sad. It was sad last weekend to kind of go through that weekend without watching Kona. I know. I looked back at my training log, and I was like, oh, I watched Kona this weekend while training. That's too bad. Yeah, exactly. A year ago, I was, uh, yesterday, I was thinking about this. It was like, exactly a year ago, I was hurting bad after, you know, the day after uh, the race. So, so um, but still, you know, missing it. Yeah. How was, how was that experience at Kona? Still partying. 
it, it was amazing. It was painful. I had something in my stomach the week before, so I had some antibiotics. And, and of course, everybody's got their own story, but on the bike, I had a lot of trouble uh, taking in uh, liquid. And uh, when I got off the bike in the transition to the run, I was just, it was all sitting in my, in my throat. So uh, I had to step aside out at the 10K mark and vomit a few times and then got that out of my system. And then I was, I was fine after that. It's not amazing. You can just throw up and like life is back to being awesome. That is the best part about this sport. It's like promoted. I know. So and I was, you know walking out. Like almost an hour and I was told, Hey, anything can happen in a race. And I felt so good the first half of the race. And then when I was walking, it was really painful to watch everybody else, you know, kind of go by you. But, uh, Isn't it, and the worst part too, like when everyone's cheering you on and you're like, look, I, if you gave me a million bucks right now, I couldn't possibly do anything about this. I'm just going to go and put my head down and get the blinders, the horse blinders. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we touched upon your sport background here. How did you bring this idea of engineering and sport together um, to form like the idea of form? <laughs> yeah, it really started. I did went to business school nice later one. on in life and um, I chose a course called entrepreneurship and I had to, we all had to come in with a, a prepared pitch and uh, it had to be something you were passionate about. So I pitched this idea for, a swimming goggle with a with a heads-up display showing basic metrics and um we got a group together and sort of the most interesting ideas i guess formed into project groups and then during that mba um then we, we spent a whole sort of semester trying to to perfect that business plan but already a few weeks into it i think it was four weeks into this we found a few potentially conflicting patterns turned out to not be an issue much later on but also it seemed it was a bit of a tall order back then. This was 2006 to, uh, to implement it. And uh, so we ended up pivoting already during this school year into a ski goggle. Oh. And that, that became another company called Recon Instruments, which we started, took outside of the school environment and built five generations of ski goggles with heads of display that connected to your phone, could show you, you know, terrain maps and your speed and your text messages and all kinds of things. It even connected to your GoPro camera, so you could, you could use it as a viewfinder. And we, um, we partnered with the big eyebrow companies, uh, Oakley and Uvex and uh, Scott and Smith and all those big goggle brands and even sold to the Apple stores worldwide. So it was, became a, a pretty big company, but I was always passionate about swimming and wanted to really get back to swimming. So after we sold to Intel in 2015, um, I was lucky enough to, to kind of step out of that company about a year and a half later and, and then go back to the starting point and, uh, and start, start form, uh, which is where we are now. And we, you know, we got our first part. So before we hop into the swim metrics of this, I think it's like, I've been like on, a little confused with the sunglass industry and head to, heads up displays and I guess just overall optics. Like I feel like maybe six years ago, I saw a pair of Oakleys that had a little bit of heads up display for running or maybe biking. And now, can you tell me why this hasn't been more mainstream? I feel like that, that type of technology would just be so beneficial and sought after, but it seems like it's hit a dead stop in the yeah. eyewear mainstream platform. You know what, that's a great question. And you're touching on a core element of our strategy here form. When we did the ski goggles, you know, it was a nice to have. It was really a great experience. And I, I still ski with my old goggles, you know, the ones I have are from like 2013. And they still work perfectly fine in a pair of Oakley goggles. 
Um, but it wasn't something nice. you could do every single day. Like you will go skiing maybe three to five times a year. So you don't have the mind share of the consumer. And it's not a night and day type value proposition. You have alternatives. You have like terrain maps. You've got your phone in your pocket. And yeah, it's inconvenient to stop and take off your gloves. But it's not like a night and day sort of 10x value prop. For, for cycling, we, we did end up uh, uh, launching a cycling sunglass as well um, at Recon. And it was called Recon Jet. And that was just before Intel came and, and purchased us. Um, but again, you have an alternative. You have a handlebar mounted computer that you can just glance down and watch. And I still think that there, there's a lot of convenience in having something in your sunglasses where you can just see the metrics, you can focus on those. So I'd still say it's valuable, but it's nothing- Especially descending to, downhill. Descending downhill, I mean, there's all kinds of applications once you really start to dig into it. And I think it comes down to the trade-off in terms of, okay, how heavy are those sunglasses? How much more do they cost compared to alternatives? And then the distraction element, you know, how is the UX built so that you are not getting distracted and it's not a safety hazard. And so I think all those things needs to be tweaked. I, I still think there is a world where we're always using heads of displays in sports and, and later on probably also one day in main, mainstream everyday life. But even considering that, if you look at swimming, it's such a pure uh, example of a sport where uh, you don't have access to metrics. Uh, or information while you're swimming. You have to actually stop. And that's the whole point is you don't want to stop unless you're resting. And if you're resting, you know, you've got all kinds of mental math going on because you have to look at the pool clock and figure out when you started and then when you came in and how much rest time. And, and so there's a lot of stuff that's inconvenient there and, and it's impossible to view the metrics while you swim. And that's why I always thought swimming was perfect for a hazard display application. Yeah, and I think Absolutely. Really kind of and then, you know, so, sorry, Gary, go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, Nick. Um, so I was thinking about swim, the lack of swim metrics for years now, being a master swim coach. And there's not like a paddle that can act as a power meter, right? So I mean, obviously underwater transmission is a bit tough, but let's, let's say that could store that data. And just like the Garmin heart rate sensor, um, it could, you know, transmit that data per 50 or whatever, or it could sync to a little head unit that sits on the side of the pool. Like, I would love to see a company like Form who is so centric on more data in the water. I mean, you guys have such, like, you can own that market w when it comes to creating better specs for us to, you know, work off of when we're actually swimming in a pool. Because the pace time is one thing, but what about efficiency if we're, our stroke is just better and better with less effort if we can just adjust our power. So anyways, that's my rant on another piece of technology that has not been invented yet. Yeah. There's a couple of, I think, companies out there that have attempted. There's a company called TrainSense, a Finnish company that has a paddle. It's not real time. So you can analyze your stroke and then go back, upload it to a computer and then see what happens there. So I'm not sure where they're at now. Uh, but I think technology, I mean, there's going to be companies out there that are going to develop sensor technologies for swimming as well. And of course the challenge is, yes, you're in a much more dense medium. It's much harder to transmit underwater. Um, and, uh, and I think the ultimate, you know, the idea that you don't have a, you didn't have a real-time interface before we came around. And I think the real-time interface is the key exactly. to blocking this entire sport. Yeah, I think before you guys came in, like swimming was really stuck in the dark ages here in terms of just real-time metrics and, and stuff like that. Is that, something that motivated you to really start this? 
I know you kind of touched upon that before. Yeah, no, there, I think there's a personal motivation in terms of just a passion. Like I spent so many hours in the pool and I was always annoyed with the fact that, you know, I was, I had to go only by feel and sometimes you're right, but most of the time you're wrong. And, uh, and in training, you know, it was, it was <laughs> extremely frustrating to have to do all the mental math. And I just really wanted to focus on my technique. And I wanted, instead of, you know, our coaches walking around with their 15 stopwatches trying to get our times, which they never, never got them right. Um, and, and then, you, you know, they had to make sure that you had started the next number of seconds after the other person. So all that stuff, you know, was never... It was inconvenient. There was never a record of you go back and look at, okay, how did I improve over time? Because all that data was never inputted anywhere. So I always felt like there was these thousands of workouts and all these hours spent wasting, wasted effort. And I thought we could work in a much more efficient, efficient manner. And then on top of that, I thought it could be more joyful uh, to go and swim. Because swimming, you know, you're swimming twice a day. You get up at five in the morning and you spend so many hours in the water. And it, it gets tedious. And it's just one of those sort of motivating factors that you have in running and cycling. And many other sports are just, just lacking. So I think it was both that part and then also our ambitious opportunity, I guess is what you're alluding to, that I could also see that there was, you know, an exploding wearables market at that stage. And you, you'd see sensors coming in and other sports, you know, certainly Garmin uh, was marching ahead. So I could see an opportunity as well from a business perspective. Yeah, I feel oh, like incredible. A lot of old coaches in swimming and they're set in their ways and a lot of them don't want to adopt like new technology and I remember it would be about just before the pools closed I remember looking over and there was a kid swimming on one of the swim teams and he had a pair of the form goggles and I was like that's awesome you guys are finally adopting this was it hard to crack into the like actual swimmer market as opposed to the triathlon market and how was it accepted yeah, so we wanted to really make sure that we solved the, the accurate tracking problem first, even though we're much more than a tracker. If we can't track accurately without having to mess with buttons, you know, it has to be completely automated, then it doesn't matter all these other experiences that we're going to put on top. If it's inaccurate, the fact that you're viewing inaccurate information in real time just makes it worse because you can actually say, hey, you know, you can, this is not correct. So we, we really wanted to make sure that we were accurate and that's why we were validating with the competitive swimmers, but, but we didn't initially see, and we still don't see, you know, that necessarily the competitive swim market as being the be all end all for us. It's a very important segment in terms of understanding their needs and being good enough for the Olympians of this world that, that will attest to this is accurate. It works for me and I really get value out of it, especially when we started getting heart rate in as well with the partnership with Polar that suddenly created a whole new dimension for a lot of these competitive swimmers, something they had never seen before in real time. So that's important, but I think, you know, it's clear for us, that's a smaller market that really, where we really can make a huge difference is with, you know, triathletes uh, and also with fitness swimmers making swimming more joyful for everyone. Because there's a lot of people out there that would love to probably spend more time in the water because it's a sport you can enjoy from you're very young until you're very, very old and, and is very efficient in terms of cardiovascular uh, workout. So, so we're, we're obviously going about this in a, in a strategic manner, but the mission of the company is, is to make swimming a source of joy for everyone uh, through all the things that we can uh, deliver real time with our goals. 
Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. You know, as a coach, I have athletes who have swim open water, swim anxiety. And they've told me once they put these goggles on, it gives them something else to focus on rather than what's beneath them or what makes them anxious. So there's another aspect of the human brain that needs to just like turn off and focus on data. And those are very, you know, turns off that, you know, fight or flight mechanism. And you just focus on, you know, one thing at a time, one stroke at a time. Um, a question too is, you know, you don't have to reveal any of your awesome tech, but how intuitive I, is the product? I've, you know, can you run through how it might work for handling when I push off the wall? Um, and is it going to give me, you know, real time splits if I speed up or slow down? Is it, and how accurate is, have you seen things um, within the pace times? Um, so yeah, I would love to know about that. Yeah, so I can't speak to product roadmap and what we're working on, uh, but I can say all you have to do is set up the pool length uh, that, you're, that you're using at the moment, uh, and then the rest is taken care of by the goggles. So they will take care of everything. If you stop, you know, the, the goggles will know that you stop when you start swimming again, they'll start the timer. It'll start the timer. Um, and it's set up so that you don't get uh, instant speed. Let's say if you change your speed throughout within a length, but every time you complete a length, then it knows that you've completed a length. And, and that's kind of the responsiveness that we have today. Um, okay. But, but that's, that's something that, you know, within a length, if you're doing 25 yard swims, right? So it doesn't take you much, much time to get from one end to the other. Uh, and most, most of our swimmers are swimming at least 1500 yards, 1500 meters per workout. So there's a lot of lengths in that. And there's a lot of information uh, that they get from the goggles that they can use to adjust their technique and, and see actually what's happening as they adjust their technique. What about integration with like Garmin Connect or other platforms? Are you able to just automatically upload to third-party apps as well? Yeah, that happens in the background actually. So we are connected to Strava and Training Peaks and Garmin Connect uh, and you know, Apple Health. Uh, and there's a bunch of others that we just uh, implemented so that's through API connection so in the background it basically just syncs and connects and uploads the data you guys recently launched uh, the form with the open water capabilities and so someone who let's I haven't really gotten a chance to get my hands on a form goggle at all I've seen I've trained with Lionel who use them all the time which yep. quite frankly can be a little annoying because he's never actually looking at you it's like he has a lazy eye <laughs> he's always looking at the goggle <laughs> uh, but yeah, can you kind of touch upon that, that new open water capabilities and maybe something we have, some technology we haven't touched upon? Yeah, I mean, that was a feature that we had already planned before COVID, but of course, when COVID happened and all those pool clo pools closed, this sort of got on faster, you know, put, this up, put it on fast track. Um, and, uh, and we saw a lot of swimmers suddenly come out of the woodwork early on in the season there and, and saying, hey, we, we'd love to, to be beta testers and try this out. And we ended up rele uh, releasing it in uh, end of July. So the, the, the way it works is it, it connects to uh, Garmin watches and Apple watches. So you can go on our site and see which, uh, which models are actually compatible. Um, and, uh, and then through those watches, you get uh, live you know, GPS metrics and, and heart rate if, if your watch supports it. And so that completely changed the game for your open water swims. Before those were unstructured workouts. And unless you really knew the lake or the ocean where you were swimming, you know, it was hard to know exactly what you were doing again without stopping and then trying to access your screen, maybe in sunlight. And I guess it's very, very difficult 
to get those that readout uh, in the open water. And I think um, as well, of course, with, with uh, the added um, confidence that you have when you have that display to look at um, and to be able to see what your status is and whether you're on pace or not, is it, hugely beneficial. And, and also something you can use in a race situation where for competitive swimming, you're not allowed to have any kind of timepiece on you whether it's a watch or a, or a swimming goggle. So for competitive swimmers in a race situation, they wouldn't use these goggles, which is fine because most people spend 99% of their time training. But for triathletes now, it's a game changer because we really want, and I'll say we, because I consider myself a triathlete now, even though I'm not a pro, but, but we want to be able to train with equipment that we're using in, in the race as well. And now you can, you can say that. I mean, these goggles you would use in the race. I used mine in Kona last year. And I had the polar heart rate monitor connected, so I didn't have the GPS connectivity that we added this year. But man, that was that was amazing. I could see, you know, at the halfway point what my time was. I could monitor my my heart rate uh, off the gate, and it was way too high. So instead of you know gassing myself, I really slowed down to the point where I was like, okay, now I know that that I can I can be you know survive the run as well at the end of this. That is absolutely why I would love to rock these things, you know, having that data. Because even in, in Ironman Cozumel, or 70.3 Cozumel, like a, a weekend ago, basically, or two weekends ago, you're swimming up against the current. And, you know, I look at the Garmin data afterwards, and it just feels like those buoys are, like, not getting closer as fast as they should. <laughs> so it's, it would be nice to know, like, oh, it's because I'm only going 130 for 100 yard, even though we're, like, at race effort. And then we turn the corner nearly get stuck to the buoy because the current's so strong and we're doing like 40 seconds per hundred on the way back. So like having that heads up display during a race, I think that that is like invaluable, especially if there's swimmers who aren't very good. Like they need to, they need to pay attention to that more than anything, especially in the first 500 meters. So that yeah. is a fantastic thing. I, I got to try these. And connected to your watch there, if you got your gun and watch you're using anyway, uh, later on in the race, you know, it's great to have a continuity. And plus, you know, you'll see your actual distance and your stroke rate. If the stroke rate starts going up, your heart rate goes up and your pace per hundred goes down. Yeah. Okay. This, you know, this is, this is, this is definitely a problem. There's, there's some current going on and you can just manage yourself. Cause I really think triathlon is all about managing yourself, you know, because that, I mean, that, let's say you go two or three minutes slower on the swim. That has an enormous impact uh, later on in the race. And it's just about controlling your ego. And now, now you've got yep. that data and, and you can make that, those commitments before the race and then stick to it instead of trusting your gut, which is usually wrong. Yeah, I think exactly like triathlon. I don't know how many times I've had an athlete who has overswam, no matter how fit they are in the water, they get excited because especially the guys near the front of the field, they get excited and they, they get on those feet, especially for an Ironman. They go way too hard at the start and then they start the bike and they're like, I just felt so bad at the start of the bike. I was cramping up, but to be able to have that, that heart rate to track it would, and you know, having that stroke rate uh, mapped against their speed is awesome data to have for after. So I can yeah. just point to it and be like, look, you didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mind you, just, to so just what are some things that you would like to, so, sorry, just to add a comment to that, I mean, this is something we've come to expect for decades in running and cycling, right? And, and then for all these years, we've just not had anything for swimming. And it's just astonishing that, that but, but now it's happening. So I think a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, this is like when the power meter came out in cycling. 
and then it took a while for people, you know, sort of realize what, what, what it was and what it meant. And now everybody's using a power meter, at least, I mean, that I know in the sport. Yeah, no doubt. I think where you are as a company right now and what you're going to add in the next, you know, 10 or 15 years is going to be like such a critical element of technology because as we know, and it's the biggest frustration for us as coaches is athletes don't take the swim very seriously. And there are some coaches who undertrain the swim on purpose because, you know, relatively speaking, you're in there for like a small percentage of the day, given the rest of the, but like you said, you're in a different race when you come out a little further ahead, if you can practice and become more efficient and use less energy. So what you guys at Form, our guys and gals are doing is I think revolutionary for sure. You've probably heard that uh, too many times, but I think um, when it comes to a coach who wants their swimmers to get better and take it seriously, like this is something, you know, you take your, you take your bike seriously when you go out on a, on a ride because you've got data right there and you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Same thing on the run, but for the swim, getting people to stop being lazy. I think that this is the, the turning point for, uh, for all of us. No more freaking excuses. Um, so this is just something I can't wait to get um, in the hands of all my friggin' athletes who've been trying to, I think most people's pools are starting to open, even though they're telling me they're not, that's kind of yeah. how bad it is. Yeah. yeah. And if they're not, they can always go in the lake, even though it's cold. So there's no excuse. No excuse. Yeah. Have you been swimming in the ocean there in uh, Vancouver? So, yeah, we, we actually started training first uh, and actually, you know, testing in, the, in a lake here locally called Sassamon Lake. I think we started in March. And it was so freezing cold. Yes. And we had to get a special wetsuit. And, and one of our guys who's just a turned pro triathlete uh, volunteered. So he, he started and then the rest of us started in April and, and just did so many swims trying to calibrate the, the different watches with our goggles. It's always difficult when there's third party hardware involved. You only have so much control and with GPS coming in and out with tree lines and whatnot. So we really try to test as much as possible. And then we open up, you know, for beta testers. And I ended up spending some time in Greece uh, for, for family reasons. My family's from Europe and, and that was a good place to be um, during this, uh, at the end of this sort of, during the pandemic, but at a time where it was safe to travel to, to, to Europe. And, uh, and I got to swim, you know, every day, sort of different part of the Mediterranean, uh, depending on where we were at the time. And so that was, uh, that was fantastic. So I got about six weeks of open water swimming in uh, this summer uh, in the ocean, and then a ton of lake swimming, obviously, from April all the way into, into July. That's awesome. Yeah, we were in Vancouver during the pandemic as well. And the swimming there is, is nice. Uh, that lake, Sasmat Lake. Yeah. It, oh, it's so nice. I love that lake. Yeah. My friends took me there. Yeah. It's good. It's good testing and training grounds. And you just have to watch out for other triathletes that you're not bumping into them. Yeah. There's a little bit of traffic, but uh, you come early morning, it's fine. Yeah. So you have to put a proximity alert on those goggles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can be. It can become too gadgety as well. So we are trying to limit the. <laughs> we did. We don't have a Swiss Army knife, so there's some things it can do. We still used to rely on your common sense for some of those things. So for for the listeners listening now, is there anything exciting happening that maybe you want want them to know? Some way they can get their hands on these goggles. Yeah, so we've been selling now, you know, worldwide for quite some time. We started out just on our website, uh, formswim.com, 
and of course skulls are still available there. Uh, and then we started going uh, into some of the Amazon sites uh, end of last year. And then in, in Q1, we rolled out to most of the Amazon sites in the world. So we were selling, you know, in Japan, in Australia, all over Europe. And, uh, and we have, you know, good uh, uh, shipping options and everything else. So it's not like you, you order them and then you have to wait forever to get them. So I think, you know, we were already sort of a global company from that perspective. And uh, they're just easy to get a hold of and they're easy to set up you know, and super easy to use. So most of the time, that's the feedback we get from customers, whether they're triathletes or just fitness swimmers that, you know, maybe once they were competitive swimmers, maybe they just love swimming. And they, they say, give us, we get the same feedback from everybody. That it's just super easy and convenient to onboard these goggles. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Real Triathlon Podcast. It was a pleasure. Is there any way for our listeners, we could do a you know, giveaway for like some crazy task. Would you guys be willing to do that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, okay. Well, we're going to set something up. That's going to be probably embarrassing and fun for <laughs> listeners to take part in, but they'll get a free pair of form goggles. For doing it. Sure. We'll work with you on that. So that's Will from our side. You can, uh, can help with that. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's incredible. Thanks again for your time. And obviously we want to be a part of your journey in, you know, capturing the hard work and promoting it so thanks for your uh, your enthusiasm and for taking your knowledge know-how and your your engineering background and actually doing something with it instead of waiting for someone else to do it so huge round of applause well thanks for your support and enthusiasm and confidence in, in the product uh, so i can't wait to hear feedback when you've had some some miles swimming with it it's really addictive and i think becomes an essential part of your swimming equipment and uh, like, like Lionel says, you know, you he'd go back, you know, drive 10 miles to go back to, to get the goggles if he forgot them. And it's absolutely true. And he forgets them a lot. He does. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> but he always goes back to get them. Yeah, that's good. It's good to hear. Awesome. What a cool interview. I can't believe the engineering mind and how people can bring these crazy concepts to life. Pretty tough concept to bring swim pace onto your goggles so that you can see it during your swim, but they've done it. So I think that's really a cool step and it'd be interesting to see if other companies start trying to do the same thing. But right now forms got a monopoly on that because they're the only ones doing it and they're only, they're doing it well. So I think it's a pretty awesome innovation that they've done. Exactly. Swimming is by far where we need more ability to track and monitor and measure data. So I mentioned a couple things that hopefully we see in the future, but honestly, it's just going to be a matter of time before every triathlete is always looking at their heads up display, like and not paying attention to anything else and totally lost and <laughs> forgetting how to count. Well, actually, that's the thing. Like people just forget everything when they're swimming. They're like, Oh, I forgot which am I in 300? No, dude, you're at like 150, like you're way <laughs> off. So this will be helpful. So uh, anyways, yeah, we'll talk more about that in the future once we get a pair, hopefully. And um, until then, we've got a lot of cool racing coming up. Jackson is officially in Daytona now as well. We didn't mention that. Took his spot. And let's see. I think that's about it. Until the next episode, we have a great guest for you. More options for triathlon greatness. Jackson, let's roll out of here. Peace. Ooh. Oh wait, I forgot it. Oh, I forgot. I forgot to say. Did I, was I supposed to say something else? Nope. 
Okay, we're done. <laughs> One more time. Ready? One more time. Peace. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Idiot. Oh, God. Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through